Anyway, let's go for the pineapple, I guess. <laughs> hey. Nice. Did it. <laughs> this, that whole story. this is such nasty women. I think you should. Um, this is such nasty women, a podcast um, by, about, oh my gosh. and for other Where nasty women. <laughs> Oh, I remember the arguments that ensued over that. I know that's story. why I was like, "What did I ever even say was my whole thing?" <laughs> I don't. I don't oh, I don't like pineapple. <laughs> <laughs> I thought when I when I tasted it originally, I thought this isn't that bad. I could probably drink the two that are in my fridge. But now that I'm drinking this in the sober light of day, literally yeah. four forty-two p.m. in my kitchen. Not as not the same experience I had before, but I'm going to push through for I the podcast. Start with the flavor you like, because then like you can. No, because I'm only going to have these two, and then I got to get back to study. So, <laughs> I want to end with the black cherry in my because one high noon, I'm not going to be like, oh god, I forgot what flavors are. Like I'm still going to be yeah. mostly well, I'll be a little tipsy probably. Uh huh. I haven't been drinking that much recently. But this has a real fruit in it, so. I am still slightly hungover from the entire bottle of wine I consumed last night, so. Oh, cool. For why? Yeah. Just a Tuesday? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. We were just, we were just hanging out, playing games, and I got so mad at one point that I chugged my glass of wine, and, um, then I had to finish the bottle, so. <laughs> Naturally. That's how that works. I mean, <laughs> you're chugging a glass of wine. Your week's over, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, so as we are back in, uh, you know, full fashion of yes. doing our podcasting, would you like to hear the journey that I went on? Okay. I, you know, on this woman. I always want to hear the journeys that you take to find the woman. Can I guess? Can I guess? Um, sure. <laughs> you you typed July woman into. No. No, this is this is quite a doozy. There's no way you're gonna guess what happened to me. Then <laughs> um, tell me. So, like early, like this weekend, I was like, "Oh shit!" Like I, um, you know, I have a very strict study schedule and everything mm -hmm. right now. Mm -hmm. And so, if I'm gonna get some research done for this podcast, it's gotta be today. Sure. And I was like, um, but for you know, years I've been clicking save link on Facebook as if I'm going to like go back and look at those things uh -huh. again later. Uh -huh. But this weekend I did. And I was like, let me see what I've saved recently. And one of my top saved links was an article from Smithsonian magazine on smithsonianmag.com mm -hmm. um, entitled uh, five women veterans who deserve to have army bases named after them Oh, in response to like, you know, all the bullshit right now. Apparently we care about protecting statues of people yeah. who bought and sold humans as if that's morally acceptable. Um, and for yeah. some reason we want to keep the names of all these old, white, racist, misogynistic, um, homophobic, bigoted people. Mm -hmm. You know, we got to keep venerating them in society instead of women who have actually done important things. Mm -hmm. So... I click on this article. I'm like, this seems like a good place to start my research. Yeah. And um, the first person is Harriet Tubman. And I'm yeah. like, I no way. <laughs> like, <laughs> I would like to do her at some point. But the time I had to research that weekend 
could not cover Harriet Tubman. Sure. Yeah. Um, especially given, you know, like Kanye's on his little escapade right oh, now. God. Yeah. So, um, like, he better keep her name out of his mouth That's because sure. he does not deserve to talk about her. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Um, you know, given the state of things, I'm reading this list um, that like didn't have any pictures. And I was just like, in my head, I was like, obviously, all the women on this list are going to be black women, because why would you try to name something after a white person? Like right now, like that, it seems not good. Uh-huh. And so I did a I like very i read the paragraph in that article that was about edith norse rogers and i was like this is a great woman to do Mm -hmm. um we are actually going to come back to her briefly later because she did do some interesting things and it's related to what i'm doing today okay but then i went on wikipedia and i was like to you know put her name in and they got me because they had the little the screen at the top that was like you know donate to us and the line that really got me was if you think we've given you $2.75 worth of knowledge this year, please donate that amount. And I was like, well, fuck. I guess you got me. So I donated not only $2.75, but a whole $5. Wow. And I even paid the extra $0.35 cents to cover the transaction fee. Wow. So you're welcome, Wikipedia. I'm keeping you afloat. Not like like <laughs> the savior of Wikipedia. <laughs> keeping, I, I'm saving Wikipedia. You know, my $5. <laughs> if everyone donated $5, we could save Wikipedia. Or just two seventy five, which is a suggested donation. <laughs> Yes, save Wikipedia. It's a danger. <laughs> anyway, so I went on after I, you know, got my credit card out and did that whole thing for my $5 donation. I went back to the article also, but I do have a suggestion for uh, Mr. Wikipedia if mm-hmm. he's listening. Uh-huh. And that is that once you've made your donation, you should get directed back to the thing that you were searching for. But no, I had to go back up to my search bar and type Edith North Rogers in again. I would have liked to have just been brought back to that page. And that's, you know, to consider for next year. Sure. Um, anyway, first thing I see, <laughs> there's this old white lady. And I'm like, ah, fuck. Yeah, fuck. <laughs> Apparently some people think it's acceptable to name things after white women right now. Ooh, but, you know. It's not. It's not. Uh, Whatever. Maybe give it some time. Yeah, I was like, not now. (laughs) Come on. (laughs) Uh, But I do think she would actually be like, it is a good choice for if you're going to name like an army base after someone, she would be a good lady. And I'll tell you Mm -hmm. why later. Okay. Um, But so was, so I was like, oh, this isn't going to work. Surely, hopefully there's another black woman um, in my original Smithsonian magazine article. And luckily there was. The next person on the list was Charity Adams Early. Okay. Before you start, are there any army bases named after women right now? That's guy, I don't know. Oh, okay. (laughs) Probably not. Let's see. Army bases named after women. Well, the first thing that pops up is the article that... I already spoke about, so I'm thinking not. (laughs) Um, (laughs) 
which by the way, I, um, that was written by Aaron Blakemore and was published on June 15th of this year. Okay. Oh, wow. So recent. For credit. Yeah. Um, no. And then it just, it has been after that top article, Google gave up and stopped trying to include the next things are like, why are army bases named after Confederates? Oh. List of U.S. army installations named for Confederate soldiers. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to go with no. Sure. Sure. Okay. Yeah. So Char- Charity Adams early, they list her as the when she was born and when she did the like main accomplishment of becoming the first African-American woman army officer, her name was just Charity Adams. Okay. So she was born. I also got some information from womenshistory.org. Um, they had a whole article on her, and there I didn't see any author like reference there. Sure. But, um, and obviously, good old Wikipedia. So she was born on December 5th, 1918. What a time. You're just finishing up a world war. How fun. (laughs) She was born in Cottrell, North Carolina. Okay. To parents whose names I did not write write down. But her father was a minister. He was an African Methodist Episcopal minister. Would really like to do some more information about what that means because those are two different denominations. Yeah. But that's fun for him. (laughs) Um, And her mother was, of course, a former school teacher because, you know, one's getting pregnant and it's 1918. Uh You can't be a teacher anymore anymore. because that's fun. Because all you can be is a mother. That's all mothers are supposed to be. Yes. You're just a teacher, so you can, you know, be an interim mother yes. for other children until you can have your own. Mm-hmm. It's practice. And then she had four of those, mm-hmm. and <laughs> Charity was the oldest okay. daughter, or the oldest so of the, four, the, and she was a daughter. The, the, the religions that, the denominations that her father apparently uh, was passed uh-huh. on, are those, are those, I always get... The like, are, are those the, like the strict ones or the like singing praise in the church and like, like calling out? Well, it really depends. Okay. So, like in the South, pretty much, especially like African American churches in the South, pretty much any denomination is going to be very, uh, like a high spirited service uh-huh. with a lot of singing and dancing and stuff. Uh-huh. Um, Methodists. And Episcopals are um, more known for, like, uh, being a little stricter. Mm -hmm. um, But it really depends on there are sects of uh, Methodism. Sure. Whatever. (laughs) Um, That are, like, currently more um, free and stuff. But all of these denominations go through like various waves sure. and have different splits and stuff. So I would, I would say in general, Methodists are probably known for being a little bit stricter and Episcopals are like basically Catholics, but without the uh, transubstantiation. Oh, okay. Wow. It's all, it's like literally Episcopals are descendant of the Anglican church, which was just created so mm-hmm. that um, 
there could be divorce and um they don't believe that jesus you eat jesus because sure you know personally i think that's a little bit of weird zombie stuff happening but you know nobody asked me so <laughs> Because um, I thought the Catholic Church was gonna call you up and just be like, "Hey, hey, hey, um, real quick." I mean, I do have I do have a phone call scheduled with the Pope <laughs> like next week, but I think we're talking about different things. I don't think I don't think we're talking about transubstantiation. I don't I don't think he's ready to tackle that one yet. Sure, sure. We're still sort of working on like don't molest. Oh, right, but right, you know yeah. we're getting there. We're getting there. Yeah. Um. So in Charity's household, her. Um, you know, highly educated parents obviously emphasized that books and learning were important. So when she began elementary school, she just went right to the second grade. Oh, okay. <laughs> she was so like her parents taught her and she was smart. So they were like kindergarten or first grade. You're good. Yeah. I'm You're just going to go right to second grade. You got the two plus two. You got the ABCs. We're going to go. You know how to tie your shoes. Let's go right to like, what do you do in second grade? Maybe a uh, numbers, like subtraction with like multiple numbers. Yeah, I think you so. Know, like, yeah, like twelve minus six or something. Sure, I sure. I am. I'm trying to read to Bennett because I think that it's really important, and I'm going to make that kid a nerd. Um, the other day, I literally sat down with him, opened up a book, and he started to scream, and I was like, "This is this is not going to fly." <laughs> Okay? I'm pretty sure that's what my brother does like now. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it is important to read to your children. Like if you see, like hear or see like some high number of words, you're better off. Mm. You know, do the research. If you're going to have a kid, don't come to me for yeah. child rearing advice, but do read to them. <laughs> So everybody comes to Savannah for Catholicism and child rearing advice. <laughs> it's your two uh, most well-known subjects. Oh, speaking of things I actually am very well-known for, uh-huh. I was looking at our SoundCloud today, uh-huh. and like we've had a lot of recent listens, oh, cool. and one episode that is really like, um, you know, when I say skyrocketing, you know, towards towards 300 listeners (laughs) is um my episode on sister amy mcpherson which if you will remember like i love her i know um and i am truly a scholar on her but i like it's soaring right now because of a show that i've kind of been watching on hbo oh i forget what it's called (laughs) Because, like, I don't really care about, like, the main part of the show. It's about some, like, spy dude. Okay. But um, there's, like, a a secondary character, like, a, what's it called when you're, uh, like, a, a supporting character that's, uh-huh. like, you know, a central supporting character, sure, yeah. if you would. Um, is played by Tatiana Maslany. Oh, love it. Whom I love. Yeah. But she plays an evangelical preacher in, like, the 30s and 40s in Los Angeles. And she is, like, mirrored after Amy McPherson. That sounds amazing. Yeah. Well, as soon as I saw Tatiana Uh doing, like, that, I was like, that's a Sister Amy reference. I must watch that. (laughs) I love her. I love Sister Amy. I know you do. Like, I'm in heaven. And so, you know, check out that show that you don't know the name of. 
or a show yeah um it's like it's like a guy's name or something it's like oh, so of course you don't you care about it no no it's just like there's this whiny like veteran detective guy he's probably in like his 30s and he's just like oh i'm all sad blah blah, blah. my life sucks but i'm a good detective with you know like uh, a, a strong moral code or whatever sure, sure. <laughs> and i'm just like show me tatiana Maslany. Yeah. <laughs> um the show is it perry mason yes I just looked up Tatiana on IMDb. That would be the way to do it. Yeah. Um, pretty good show. I've watched like uh, maybe two episodes, maybe three episodes. He's not um, a detective. Should... He's a defense attorney. <laughs> you should care about that. He's not He's not an attorney in what I've seen so far. He's helping an attorney by doing investigations. Oh, so maybe Perry Mason is not his, uh, he's not the main character. No, he's the main character. Yeah, we, we, we can't do this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Calm down. Stay on topic, Jessica. Jeez. <laughs> We're trying to do an educational podcast here. <laughs> anyway. All right. So she goes to elementary school, starts in the second grade. Mm-hmm. At the end of elementary school... She and, like, a number of her classmates are tested for early admission to high school. Oh, my God. And she gets it. Oh, my God. I think a little bit of this, like, says, like, more to do about, like, the school system in, like, the 1920s than about, like, her specifically. Like, she's definitely gifted, but she and 12 of her classmates, like, all passed to get into high school after the fifth grade. Okay. So, like, a little unclear what they were all doing, yeah, like, the like, what anyone was doing in middle school. Uh-huh. Um, but also, like, she was, you know, much younger than her peers already. Yeah. And so, like, because of that, her parents were like, um, excuse me, she's eight. She's not going to high school. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, so who knows what really she did. But she graduated as the valedictorian of Booker T. Washington High School. Like, duh. She was pretty much just, like, wandering around kicking rocks while everybody else tried to figure out how to do middle school. So, like, <laughs> yeah, shocker, she became valedictorian. Mm-hmm. But, and I think she may have, like, skipped a few grades in there as well. Sure. So because of her uh, valedictorship? Um, I don't think that's a word. Because she was valedictorian, she was offered a scholarship to Wilberforce University in Ohio, which was, quote, one of the best African-American higher educational institutions at the time. Okay. Because let's not forget, it's, you know, sometime in the 1930s. And um, what a terrible time to be alive. (laughs) Yeah, what a terrible time to be alive in general. general. Add on being, you know, like a black woman. Uh Not great. No. No. But um, she gets a scholarship to go to university and she does. Awesome. While she's there, she majors in mathematics, Latin, and physics. What? 
And just in case you think, you know, that sounds pretty heavily sciencey, she also minored in history at the time. Oh, well, yeah, you just got to throw that on there. She Meanwhile, she was also a member of the NAACP, the Women's Self-Government Association, and was a member of the sorority Delta Sigma Theta. So, you know, just overall a really casual college experience. Okay, so like, did she sleep though? I don't know. As as we go on, I don't think this woman has ever slept <laughs> in her life. They miss, like there is no time for sleep. They miss the the like part in the beginning of the article where she was diagnosed with some sort of condition where she didn't need to sleep because that oh. like this is not possible. Like there that yeah, her and Beyonce they don't sleep. Yep. Um. So she graduates from there in 1938. So at this point, she's 20 years old. Oh my God. <laughs> she oh my has God. a degree in mathematics, Latin, and physics. Oh, and did I mention that during the later years of her college experience, she also started some education classes so she could essentially get a teaching certificate? Sure. So when she graduates in 1938, she moves back to Columbia, South Carolina, where she had been raised and spends four years as a math and science teacher at a junior high there. So she was like, I didn't really need junior high, but I'm here to help those of you that do. Sure. Well, I didn't need junior high because the <laughs> curriculum was a joke. So here I am to try to make it a little bit harder for you so that you actually learn just, shit. Just like, but even thinking back now, I'm like, what did we do in junior high? Like, I don't think we really learned anything new. They just like repeated the elementary school stuff. And they're like, we're just going to keep you here for a few years. Um, we had to do that. Did you do that stock market project in sixth grade? Yes. I had not a single idea what I was doing the whole time. Me either. It's, we were too young to be taught that because I just have, I had no idea what was going on. I still no, I didn't even, I didn't even No, I don't think I understood that like, Cause we had to look at, cause like when we were in the sixth grade, we did not really have access to computers. So we had to look at piles and piles of the stock market section of the newspaper, which is just like four letter acronyms next to numbers that make no sense for pages. And for some reason I found an acronym and just followed it. And I was like, they were like, what have you learned at the end of this? I was like, not a clue. <laughs> Couldn't even tell you what this acronym stands for. Yeah. But what were we doing? <laughs> That's why I don't understand the stock market. <laughs> they put it in the wrong year. Yeah, they did. Yeah, they did. I know about mitochondria. I know about, like, what, what other dumb shit do I know? <laughs> Tons of dumb shit. Dumb uh, math equations I'm never going to Yeah, like. <laughs> but do I know about the stock market? No. Do I know about like really how to do taxes? No. no. <laughs> Why would they teach you? Do us? I understand credit card interest? No. Like, like I kind of understand credit cards in the stock market, but not, not really enough to like be an expert in it. Not enough to like make informed decisions that will impact my life in a positive way. No, one day I'm just, I'm going to find a trusted accountant 
who will do those things for me, not me. Um, so, you know, while she's uh, figuring out what the fuck junior high is for, during the summer, she's working on a graduate degree in vocational psychology. Just, you know, well, I, everything's... I, this woman must be outrageously smart like she must just be like like iq of 194 or something like like just like yeah and just like i mean i guess like no never mind i was gonna say it's kind of related but no it's, it's not. not no not at all not to anything what was the doing uh, in there? i don't know what that's doing in there well Latin, I think, helps sciencey stuff oh, because all the terms are based in yeah, Latin. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, all right, I'll allow it. Um, yeah, Latin and math created also, at the it same wasn't really time. Science, like math and phys- like, physics, like physics is but science. It's not like biology that you would need Latin for. I don't think physics. That's what the psychology is for. Okay. And when you're teaching, like, math and science classes, like, you have to know biology and all that stuff. Okay. Mitochondria. I bet she could tell me the Latin roots of that. Oh. I don't know it. I bet it relates to powerhouse of the cell. But who can be sure? Anyway. In 1942, you know, she thought, oh, I just made it out. I was born right at the end of the Great War. Surely nothing like this could happen again. Wrong. In comes World War II. (laughs) (laughs) And she hears about something called the Women's Auxiliary Army Corps. And so now what I would like to do is take you back to 20 minutes ago when I was talking about Edith Norse Rogers and how I kind of started to do research on her and then realized she was white. (laughs) She still did a lot of shit and like is a woman deserving of her own episode, but I'm just going to run through like the hot bullet points. All right. So she's born on March 19th of 1881. Okay. Sure. Um, and so for like the beginning of her life, she's just like normal, normal lady. She marries a lawyer who graduated from Harvard Law School and then becomes a, um, a congressman. Okay. And so in uh, World War One times, 1917, her husband is on some committee and he also is like drafted into the war. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, as part of that, he goes over, well, he goes to where I don't remember where, and she is like, I'm coming too. And so what she does is she works as a volunteer nurse with the Red Cross at a field hospital. And she talks a lot about how, um, you know, like these women that were working in essentially like an unofficial capacity, but like for the army are deserving of benefits because they went through a lot and also saw a lot and like they deserve to be treated as veterans as well. Like that's something she always thought and also saw, you know, firsthand the destruction that war did to these men. And so like veterans, like protecting veterans was really important to her. And so once the war is over, um, it just shows you like a function of the time that like someone had to be like, Hey, I think like women um also need help (laughs) yes so 
Let me tell you how she gets to help them. First, when they get back, President Harding appoints her as the inspector of new veterans hospitals. So, like, she's essentially in charge of setting up new veteran hospitals and ensuring that they run correctly. And she does such a good job that President Coolidge and President Hoover both, like, continue to appoint her to that position. Okay. And then on March 28th of 1925, her husband dies during his um, seventh term as a congressperson. And so a couple people, like the party at the time, tell her that she should run and take his seat. And she gets 72% of the vote during a special election for that seat. And she becomes the sixth woman elected to Congress and the third woman to, like, get elected to Congress after, like, running for their late husband's seat. (laughs) So I guess in, like, the 1920s, that's how you got women into Congress. (laughs) Their husbands died. (laughs) So she ends up becoming, like, uh, like, she's sort of like an AOC of her time and she's known as like she's just off the bait off like running getting um legislation written and everything she's known for having a trademark live orchid or gardenia on her shoulder as like part of oh her oh my outfit. god love that and um she's one of the first congress people to speak out and be like Hey, this Hitler guy is doing some bad stuff. And she tries to get some legislation passed to allow German refugees into the country um, as refugees. But guess what America does? Not pass that legislation. But she tried. Um, (laughs) What she is able to pass is she gets the Women's Auxiliary Army what is it called? Auxiliary Army Corps, or is also then eventually known as just the Women's mm-hmm. Army Corps, um, to be an official thing where women can now be drafted into, or not drafted, but can join yeah, the Army. Like, um, yeah. Still can't be drafted, <laughs> um, but okay. No. But, um, so they can be like an official part of the Army and doing, you know, like mail and nursing and things like that. Oh, just you wait. Um, okay. <laughs> and then she eventually, another, just the last notable thing I want to say about her is that she helped draft and co-sponsored the GI Bill, um, which we saw today. So I thought that was cool. And now let's go back to the life of Charity Adams. So she is a young, like 24-year-old middle school teacher trying to finish up her graduate degree in vocational psychology as you do when she sees that you know this war is you know popping up things about to pop off (laughs) and she sees that the women's auxiliary army corps is looking for you know members Uh i guess um and she's like i think i should do that you know why not um and so she she, it's created in the spring of 1942 she's like among some of the first people to apply um she is accepted in july and is sent to fort des moines for training as a member of the first officer candidates okay um 
By August 29th, 1942, she has been commissioned as an officer, which is when she becomes the first black officer in the Women's Auxiliary Army Corps, and therefore the first black woman officer in the United States Army. Um, At this time, obviously, because the United States is first, um, all of the units are segregated. Because, you know, you can fight and die for our country, but, like, over, over there. there. Not not with the no. white people. No, just, like, not. over there. Um, so she gets, like, she's in charge of her own unit, and they end up placing her at the training center where she works as first a staff training officer, then a station control officer, and then a company commander. In September of 1943, she becomes the highest ranking female officer at the training center when she is promoted to mm. major. And then in 1944, she's chosen as the command officer of the first unit of black women. So the first black um, women's auxiliary army corps unit to go overseas. And the command that she's serving over is the I don't know how you say these numbers in like army, but the 6,888th, I don't know if you say it like that or like 6888 Central Postal Directory (laughs) Battalion. So that's why mail is on my brain. It was not a coincidence or a joke. (laughs) They really told the women in the army that you have to deal with the mail. So her job as the commander of this 6,888th Central Postal Directory Battalion was to organize and direct mail to U.S. servicemen that had gone undelivered. So not just like Uh the mail, but the mail that they had already fucked up on. So her first, the first thing, their first like assignment is that the army drops them off in Birmingham, England. And there are multiple airplane hangers <gasps> full of undelivered <gasps> mail. And they're like, you have six months to like clear this up and get it delivered to the correct place. Oh my place. God. They did it in Holy three months. <laughs> they worked three shifts, eight hours per shift, seven days a week. Holy so she set up this rotating schedule. It was like, I see her six months for all this, like, and let's not forget it, it's the uh-huh. 1940s. Like, I think that being a postal worker today is like, I, I don't really understand how it works. Like, you're telling me I just, I write an address, any address on the front of this paper. I fold it up. I put an envelope. I write any address I want with my <laughs> hand. And I just put a stamp that I paid like 50 cents for on the corner of it. And they just take it and the mail gets there you, to anywhere I want. Are you ever worried about how many um, institutions you don't, um, <laughs> you can't fathom? <laughs> I mean, like I like conceptually get it, but it's just like, really how... How did they manage Imagine that? back when it was like, like, all, like the on horseback, when it was like the, the pony... Well, that's what I'm saying. It's the 1940s and they're just like, here's a bunch of mail that 
we try to deliver, but was undeliverable, probably because there's something wrong, like the address is wrong or something. So not only did they have to figure out how to get it to different places, but they had to figure out where the fuck it was supposed to go. And they couldn't just be like, oh, let me Google John Doe and see where he's stationed because it's not where the fuck his mom thought it was. No, she has to, I don't even know how they would manage this, but they did it. Phone Um. I assume like the army has the, like a directory. She's just like sorting through like a handwritten directory of where these things uh-huh. are supposed to go. Um, um, part of a big part of her job as a commanding officer was also to like keep morale up. And also let's not forget that she's like the highest ranking black female officer uh-huh. in the army. Do you think that other officers are predisposed to be oh, nice to I'm her? I guess no. That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. Racism is bad and she's experiencing yeah. a lot of it. Um, but their, this is their catchphrase of the battalion was no male, low morale. I don't know what that means. Okay. <laughs> Um, I think it was just like uh, I I can't explain it at all. I guess like they just wanted to be able to sort mail, and if they didn't have any, they wouldn't be happy about it because they wouldn't have a job to do. But like, I don't, uh, as catchphrases go, not a great one. Just gonna throw that out there. That's not getting printed on any t-shirts no, anytime soon. No. Yikes. Definitely not as trendy as the. Uh, was it wear a short skirt and carry a pistol? Something like that, yeah. It's no. not as good. So, um, as ways to boost morale, um, one thing that she would do is she really encouraged the women in her battalion to go out and socialize with the locals so that they could lessen the racial tensions that were around. So not only is she dealing with all the male... But she's making this, like, area like black people. <laughs> okay, but, like, socialize definitely means, like, fuck, right? She's, like, go fuck. Oh, yeah, she was, like, go out, literally, go out and, um, like, hang out with white men. Was, like, one of her things. She's, like, so they'll, you Great. know, like us. I was, like, okay. But um, she also set up beauty parlors for relaxation and socialization. I was, like. This is an army officer she, I can hang out with. <laughs> she sounds like a real Leslie Nope. Yeah, I think she was. Especially because, like, um, at the once she finally, like, uh, gets discharged from the army, they're like, oh, my gosh, like, how did you manage to do all these incredible things, blah, blah, blah. And she's just like, I just wanted to do my job. No. And I'm just like. <laughs> no, it's not um, Yeah, so she is, like, really out here leslie noping it not only actually like getting like immeasurable shit done for her actual job she's lowering racial tensions in all the areas which in which her battalion is deployed and she's also she's setting up beauty parlors so that the women have a nice like you know uh relaxation time especially because they're like in fucking england so during their downtime it's how like there's they know a lot of things to do and she, um, like, continuously fights for desegregation in the military. 
Um, at one point, a white officer tries to get her replaced. When she refuses to step down, he threatens to court-martial her. She's like, fucking do it. Um, and so he backed down after that. She was just like, fucking yeah. try me, bro. Um, and she um, fights for, like, the segregation, the so extreme, which, like, obviously it was in America, but you would think that, like, when you're on a foreign army base, when, like, you're literally at war, maybe segregation wouldn't be, like, your top fucking priority. But, you know, it was to the extent that they even had, like, segregated recreation centers, like, on the base. But the base she was at, um, they hadn't set up the, like, um, I was going to say auxiliary, the the rec center for the black Mm -hmm. units it wasn't set up yet so there they were actually desegregated and were sharing the rec center and when they tried to send the equipment to her base to set up the second rec center she refused it because she was like now we're all using this first Uh recreation center so and you know like that worked for her Right. So, you know, she's just getting all kinds of shit done. So after Birmingham, they go to Rouen and Paris. Okay. In France. <laughs> <laughs> and like later, she says that her battalion was dealing with 65,000 pieces of mail oh my per God. day. How, how, did you say how many people she had in her no, I don't know. I couldn't find anything that said how many people were in the group. Like, are we talking, like, five? Um, or are we talking, like, 20? Like, I just don't even, like... I think it's, like, probably around 20. Because it's it's still an uh-huh. army battalion. And I think that those, like, I think army units are set up, like, in around, like, roughly 10 to 20 people, depending on what You know, what the I just, I have no idea about anything in the army or any any sort of military thing like all of the like commander officer major like i never know which one is more important and if someone could read, like oh i just have to look it up because it's just like nonsensical it's like lieutenant and a colonel and sometimes you can be a lieutenant colonel or you can be a general or a commander and it's just like why do we do this to I, ourselves I really, you know i don't know it's like, why are we using all these, like, old, like, terms from, like, the French army from, like, how, what? Can't we think of, like, just, like, one, two, three. There you go. <laughs> Done. Exactly. Like, I'm the third ranking officer. Got yeah. it. Anyway. Um, on December 26th, 1945, she was promoted to lieutenant colonel, the highest possible position for any woman in the WAC. Okay. This one article I read always kept being like the highest female officer in the WAC. And I was like, well, it's the Women's Army Corps. So, like, are there men in the Women's Army Corps who have a higher rank? Well, Unclear. you probably just um, can't go any, like, I would imagine, I, you know, I don't know. I'm, I was about to say something and I just, I have no idea what I'm talking about. So, yeah. Great. So, um, this highest ranking position puts her directly under the colonel slash director of the Women's Army Corps. 
So she's essentially like second in command of this whole core after being in it for three years. But I mean, it had only been existing for three years. And, like, someone someone has to be goes out to, like be in charge at some point. But, um, so the, the colonel she was working under was Oveta Culp Hopley, okay. which is a name. So good for her. And then um, in March of 1946, they tried to assign her to the Pentagon. And she's like, I would rather be discharged, please. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> Which, like, like the war is okay. over. She, people, you know, and she probably didn't want to, like, move to well, D.C. Yeah. I think it was probably going to be, like, a more long-standing position, you know. And she's like, okay. no, thank Good you. Lord, I'm off to go um, get another degree. So, uh, well, <laughs> so she requests removal from active duty. And upon discharge, the National Council of Negro Women, Inc. presents her with a scroll of honor for her distinguished service. I don't know, like, how... um... I would like to be presented with a scroll of honor. (laughs) You know, uh, she got that. I don't know how impressive of an honor it is, but... Sounds cool. Um, I don't like if you're like hanging a scroll in your office, mm-hmm. you know, do you think you just have to like sort of set it somewhere like in its scroll form? And if someone asks, like, what is that? You're like, oh, then you unfurl it. And you're like, it's my scroll no, of honor. Or do you yeah. put it on the wall? But at that point, is it really yeah. a scroll anymore? Isn't it then just a piece of paper if it's been unscrolled? I don't think that. Does it maybe it has if it has like those little the yeah. like wooden parts on the top for the if you put that whole or apparatus maybe. on the you, wall? So you put that whole it, thing up on the wall, right? And then you put like a little um like sort of like a window pool, you know, so that you can unscroll it to show uh-huh. people, but then it also oh, like oh, oh, sure, back yeah. up, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Great. So if any of you well, look, if anyone listening happens to have a scroll of honor which they display in their um, home and or work office do you please let us know how yes, you do that display picture, <laughs> and if you aren't using you know like a little window scroll to get the full <laughs> scrolling action i really think you should look into that so i, I think, think it's that really that's no a good idea. idea i think we should need to take it to get a patent right away yeah um, I'll get right to work on that. You know, intellectual property law is really oh, yeah, easy to navigate. Uh, <laughs> this is a lie. <laughs> so she, you know, finishes. She's like, you know, the most decorated black woman in all of mm-hmm. army history. And she could have had a very illustrious career as like a motivational speaker uh-huh. type person. People were trying to get her to give talks all over the place. She was like, nah, she went back to Ohio State, <laughs> Ohio State to finish her master's, which she completed in 1946. And so after completing that master's in vocational psychology, what does she do? But she become, she goes to Cleveland and is a veterans administrator registration officer. And so what her job to do there is she 
um, reviews requests from veterans for educational funding and basically is dealing with um, doling out the benefits of the GI Bill, which, as we know, yeah. Edith Norris Rogers put into action. That's actually a really great so, combination of a lot of things that she's really good at. Yeah, she's like administrating. She was like, yeah. I know about education. Clearly, I've experienced a lot of it myself. <laughs> yeah, exactly. In forms, and I'm, you know, good at understanding things. Um, she does that for a couple of years. And in 1947, she goes into academic administration. So she leaves Veterans Affairs behind. And she becomes the Dean of Students of, or Dean of Student Personal Services at a um, college that was in Nashville that had a really long name that I didn't want to write down. It was like uh, agricultural something, sure. something, something. Um, but it was in it was in Tennessee in Nashville. That's all that really mattered to me. Um, and then she goes on to be the dean of students at Georgia State College. Guess where Georgia State College is um, located? Is it, is it in Georgia? Yes, but. Uh, Oh, in Savannah, oh, Georgia, oh, Jessica. Oh, sure, 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 Come sure, sure. on. <laughs> All right. So after she does that for a couple of years, then in 1949, she gets oh, married to Stanley A. Early Jr. So now she becomes the uh, Charity Adams Early that everyone cites her as, even though I kind of think she is that's bullshit because she did a lot of her accomplishments when she was a single woman and her name was just charity adams but whatever everything's fun (laughs) the new uh, Um, uh, official slogan of the podcast (laughs) (laughs) i think that's probably been the unofficial slogan of the podcast like the whole time (laughs) but i saw this tweet the other day that someone was like uh, I just got an email and their sign off was not not regards or best or anything, but <laughs> anyway, it's like I'm gonna sign off my emails like that. That's how I feel. Anyway, here's some bullshit. Um, so Stanley A. Early Jr. was training to be a doctor in Zurich, Switzerland. Oh. So they okay, moved there. Great. <laughs> Uh, which probably I was thinking about this, like they, he probably has to do his medical training in Switzerland because I bet America was too racist for him to get good medical training here. So that's fun. Um, But she takes advantage of this time in Zurich to start attending the Mm -hmm. Minerva Institute. And there she learns enough German in 10 months to start taking classes at the university of Zurich and then also at the Jungian Institute of Analytical Psychology. Just for fun. I mean, she needed her hit. She needed her fix. I guess. Um, But, like, the Jungian Institute of Analytical Psychology is, that's, like, very impressive to be taking classes there, especially in the 1950s. Um, So, in... Around 1952, she and her husband moved back to Ohio. And in 1952, literally everything I could see, it's um, like she has two children. But all I saw was that in 1952, they moved to um, 
Ohio and started their family. They had two children, Stanley the Third okay. and Judith. Um, so I don't know if they were twins or if they're like, no one could be bothered about her children, which I kind of think is fun. They're just like, who cares that she had children? But it is impressive that while raising her children, yeah, she keeps doing shit. So um, they establish themselves in Dayton, Ohio, and she commits to a life of essentially community service. First, she is on the board of directors of the Dayton chapter of the American Red Cross. And then she moves up in that organization to become part of the board of governors mm-hmm. as well. She's also on the board of Sinclair Community College and on the board of the oh, Dayton Power and Light Company. Just a bunch of casual things to be a part of while you're a black woman in Dayton, Ohio in the 1950s and 60s. Have we talked about how- while you're raising a family. I mean, yeah. I mean, I'm just like, she probably just walked into places and was like, hey, I'm fucking smart and you're going to let me be on this board. And they were like, oh, okay. I mean, that is pretty much all you have to do sure. to be on a board anyway, usually. Um, you just got to know some people and be like, I should be on that board. And then depending on, you know, it can you, you can usually make it happen in a couple of years. People aren't really clamoring to be on sure, boards. Sure, yeah. But... Um, <laughs> And, and usually, like, these, sometimes they have specifications, like, there can only be 10 members on this board, but lots of these things is probably just, like, if you really fucking want to be on the board you of St. Clair Community College, I think you can make that happen. But I just think it's very impressive that, you know, it is still the 19 fucking 50s and 60s, and she is just, like, oh, um, protest? No. I'm on the board of the Dayton Power and Light Company. That's my protest, yeah. bitch. Um, in 1982, she founds the Black Leadership Development Program in Dayton, which seeks to educate and train African Americans to be leaders in their community. So, you know, still doing shit. In 1996, the Smithsonian National (laughs) Postal Museum... Honors her for her work with the 6,888th Central sure, Postal let's have Directory a postal Battalion. Museum, but not a, wom- a like museum the- on women's history. Yep, that's why I was just like, I mean, I'm very glad that during her lifetime she got to like experience yeah, yeah. like getting recognition uh-huh. for the work that she did, but I am really annoyed that it has to be through yes. the Postal <laughs> Museum. Like, I understand she was working with mail, but like, hello. United States Army like she was the first black female officer and she got all Mm -hmm. your shit done for you while also curing racial tensions overseas and like desegregating very niche parts of the army but sure the postal museum is a fine uh, recognition And then on January 13th of 2002, she dies at 83 years old. Um, but I think she really yes. got a hell of a lot. It's <laughs> 83 years. And then on November 30th, 2018, a monument was dedicated to the 6,888th Battalion in Fort Leavenworth, Kansas. So, you know, during her lifetime, she got postal museum recognition and now somewhere in kansas 
there's a memorial. <laughs> so that's good. Yeah, that's great. I mean, it's. I'm glad people are recognizing her. I think she deserves Absolutely. a lot it's more a recognition. Absolutely, it's a crime that you know we've never heard of her until now. Yes, but are we surprised? No. No. That's the other theme of this podcast. <laughs> Not at all surprised by the lack of recognition. <laughs> yeah. Or resources about A, women, B, women of color, C, Oof, queer women yeah. of color. But that's yes, it. That is awesome. Charity Adams Thanks. early. First African-American what woman army like, officer. So many degrees. I can't even so many lives lived in her yeah. 83 years, truly. Her and Stormy Delavier was just like, oh, you thought I was going to take this move? Nope. You thought jumping nope. horses was it? Nope. <laughs> twists and turns for you we all love day. Twists and turns. You love twists and turns. Yep. Tell us uh, by emailing us at. <laughs> Podcast at gmail.com or DM us on Instagram, such nasty women podcast, or tweet at us, nasty women PDCST. And I think that's And if you're really adventurous, oh, yeah, <laughs> does Tumblr even exist anymore? I mean, yeah, how you think I get all my <laughs> spoilers about what's happening on the hundred? Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> About once a week, I go on and I just search the um, hundred because I just want to know what's going on. Waiting, yeah. waiting for a mouth kiss. Same. <laughs> never gonna get it. Never, never gonna get it. <laughs> uh, this I podcasting virtually. I just want everyone to know it's very strange. If someone was to look at me right now, I am just I'm sitting in my kitchen just talking to my laptop is anyone's face there no i'm just staring out my window and talking yeah. to myself it appears so you know appreciate the sacrifices we're making for you yes, listeners. appreciate us god damn it and contact us we live <laughs> for contact Virtual contact is the only kind we can get nowadays, so give it <laughs> to us. What else are you doing with your time? Not baking bread. No one's doing that anymore. We're done with Tiger King. I mean, if you're at a protest, we understand. But, you know, you can you need something to do. Home, <laughs> throw us a tweet. Throw it at us. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Night. Bye. Bye.